0: All right, my friends, welcome back to another episode of the Build Show podcast. That's right, my weekly time to get together with you guys and go deep. I've got back in the studio my friend Jake and Steve. Uh, We were podcasting not too long ago talking about budgets, and I think this is kind of a follow-up to that. Uh, Today's title is Minimum Standards for a Well-Built House. We're going to be jumping into uh, some interesting conversations of What is the good, better, best for a house? What are the needs, wants, and desires, as Steve talks about with his homeowners? How do we draw that line in the sand of here's the minimum uh, standards that I'll build as a builder? That being said, let's get going on today's Build Show, Minimum Standards from the Rockwell Studios in Austin, Texas. Let's get going. Hey, guys, before we jump in today's podcast, I want to say a big thanks to our podcast sponsor, Span. You know, I just did a giant webinar with these guys, and I got to say, this is a really, really impressive technology. If you don't know what a Span panel is, they've basically taken the basic 100-year-old circuit breaker, fuse box, panel box, whatever you want to call it, and they've jumped it into the 22nd century. They've, they've put this backbone of a rock-solid panel box and added on top of that some enterprise level computer circuitry is probably the best way I could explain it, which will allow you to monitor your entire system and actually control individual circuits, even though you're using standard breakers, let's say, uh, you know, some square D breakers or some other manufacturers' breakers that fit in the panel box. And what's really cool about this is it's going to future proof your house, for instance, at my house. I knew that I wanted to add solar and maybe battery, and I already have a gas generator backup. But if I would have had a span panel at my house, I would have been even more prepared for that because the span panel, let's say in an outage, would allow me to go, all right, I've got a battery hooked up to my house. How much? How much battery power do I have left? How many hours do I have on my battery, assuming I'm using this load? And actually, I can change my loads from the span app and say, okay, actually, let's shut down these lighting circuits in the secondary spaces because I want my battery to last. I just want to have my emergency circuits, uh, my router, and maybe my main uh, heat pump running, and that's it. Everything else I want to turn off. You can do all that, shed all those loads right from the app. It's amazing technology. I'm actually thinking about upgrading my personal house to a span Uh, even though I didn't install that initially. So with that being said, guys, big thanks to SPAN for sponsoring. You can learn more about them at span.io. Let's get going on today's podcast. Uh, Gentlemen, we're talking today about minimum standards. Kind of what is that line in the sand? Uh, I've, in many videos, talked about kind of good, better, best. Uh, But if we're talking good, better, best, there is that I won't go below good level uh, for standards. And Steve, I've heard you kind of phrase it before as needs, wants, and desires with your clients. Once you kick us off with what is what does yeah, that mean to so you? So the, the needs, wants, and desires. I mean, part
1: of it is the um, the bones of the project, but it's also the 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 things that are above that, say the luxuries. So, you know, a client might want a three bedroom house. They have two daughters. Okay. The, the the need is that we need two bedrooms mm-hmm. for my daughters. The want is, well, we would like to have walk-in closets for them. The desire is, is you know, my daughter Sally wants a uh, window seat, mm-hmm. and my other daughter Kim wants, you know, some bookcases. She's an avid reader. So, you know, those are the things that we get in so that as we're designing it, that it's, you know, sometimes, and I, and I tell clients, you know, the needs are... You know, a hundred percent or ninety percent. Say these are the things that are the reason for doing the project. The wants we might get half of them hmm. on your list, and the desires we might get a quarter or a third. Those are the things that hey, if they slide in nice and easy and easy to accommodate, then yeah, we'll incorporate them into the project. But if they're not, then they're, it's not going to happen. Yeah. And, and clients are okay with that. You're like those are the dreams. If we can. Slide that in. That makes sense. But there is also the the kind of minimum bones of you know we're going to insulate our basements. We're yep. going to do this. We're going to bring all the ductwork inside the conditioned space and all of that stuff.
0: And when I say minimum standards for well built house, Jake, what do you immediately go to? Like what's your what's your what's their first thought that you think of?
2: Uh, I immediately go okay. Well, I have to give a warranty, so I'm not going to do anything that compromises the four control layers uh and i also think the longer well we'll expand on that the longer i've built the more i put my foot down and go yeah we're not doing that sorry but even on like if you look at custom cabinets we put custom cabinets in every house we build. we haven't bought factory cabinets in years mm-hmm. and the reason is snooty builder that's <laughs> the way it comes across right <laughs> It comes across as you're too good to do it the way somebody else wants to do it. You won't put Ikea in my house, Jake. We will not. And it's because we know that it's going to be a headache in the long run. The more warranties that I have to go back and deal with, even just fiddly stuff, the more I'm like, okay, well, we're just not going to do that again. Because if we're having to go back and deal with a callback, chances are there are other things that we didn't get a callback on that we probably should have got a callback on because our clients left with a, a you know, a a good uh, impression of us. So they don't want to bother us with little stuff. They'll try to fix it themselves or something. So if we have this whole arm of like, well, the drawer slides on those cabinets from that manufacturer stink, we're just not going to use that manufacturer anymore. And it, and like Steve just said, it, you come across as the snooty builder, but I also don't have callback issues. I have clients that are happy long-term with their houses. And so like this, when you say good, better, best, I go, well, we don't do that at all because I think all the client hears is good enough, more expensive, even more expensive. (laughs) And for us, we're just like, this is the right way to do it. And yes, a shower valve is going to cost $1,000, but we're going to bury it behind tile and we're not going to worry about it. And we're going to include all those things in our preliminary budgeting so that we don't have to worry about, Okay. Yeah, but we can do it for that cheap. But I'm worried it's going to fall apart. So we actually need to add this much more to the
0: budget at the last design phase. I got to pause you there because I heard something that I really want to know, which is what's your minimum standard for shower valves? Uh, (laughs) We we generally allow fifteen hundred a thousand to fifteen hundred per. Fixture yeah. to deal with it. So, and in other words, don't do the knockoff brand made in Chinese. It really yep. doesn't have a warranty. It's that. It's a lot of times it's the house brand. Well, uh, for a it, manufacturer or it goes for a, a distributor,
2: we're supplying.
0: Mm-hmm. Clients will go well, but your
2: cost plus. So we'll just go ahead and supply some of those things. No, we don't have uh, to pay your fee, and then we won't have to pay your fee. No, because, number one, then I'm not going to be the one that's listed on the warranty. I'm not going to have a salesperson that I can call and go, Mm. hey, man, why is this thing broken again? Like, what? Like if you want us to be responsible for it, we get to be responsible for it. We had a conversation with clients this week that they're supplying a few of the light fixtures, and that's, like, the only thing we've ever caved on, Mm -hmm. and it's because light fixtures generally don't have problems. Like, it just has power going into it if it's a UL fixture and then light coming out of it. Yeah. But we wouldn't even let people deliver outlets to the job because we can't verify quality. And the first thing that happens is it's Amazon from a, a foreign country that doesn't do things the way we yeah, do for sure.
1: You know, it, it, sorry, it brings up a, a really good point because I've heard I, I've had a couple of builders and I've, I've given them crap about this that I work with that. You know, they'll say things like, yeah, I'll just give you my painter's number and you can deal with him directly. Absolutely not. Or I'll give you my landscaper's, you know, phone number. You could just have him come over and deal with him correctly. And I'm like, we get in the truck and i am be like, you know, why why don't you want to? Oh, it's just a headache to deal with the painter and the homeowner's got to pick out colors. I'm like, yeah, but if you're getting paid for it.
2: Then Isn't that, everything you do every, as a builder is <laughs> a, <is> a <laughs> headache?
1: So I don't understand, but I, I just don't understand that model of let's just do part of it and you, you know, we'll give it away. Yeah. So
2: we have the opposite. We have uh, I had a family member ask uh, for a painter, and I said, no, we don't give out the, the numbers. And they're like, why? And I said, because number one, I'm not there. And if I'm not there, I can't guarantee their quality. And I know that I've given out subs phone numbers to people that were super close to us before. They're like, "Man, that guy really didn't show up. He didn't answer the phone." I'm like, "Well, that's not the way he acts when he works with us." I'm mm-hmm. sorry. Like, there is a certain level of we have a rapport. He knows he needs my business. That's right. Sort of thing that like, I know that's an adjacent, but that is don't really, give out. That is don't really give out the advice. number. We that spent really 25 advice. years building that relationship. He's going to treat me different than
0: he treats you, even if it's not on purpose. Yeah. You I, don't want to work with him by yourself. Before we get too far from it, though, you made a comment that I want you to go back to, which is you mentioned the four control layers in the house. Yep. Uh, will you define those four control layers for yep. our listeners and also talk about, like, what are your minimum standards for those four control layers? Absolutely. So Let's get, get nerdy for a minute in, for us, In
2: order of importance, we're going to talk about water and then air and then thermal and then we're going to be concerned with vapor last. So, uh, number one, water is a never compromise. If we have any concern whatsoever how the building's going to operate from a water standpoint, we failed. Mm -hmm. Because we don't have any control over whether or not the building sees water. Amen. Uh, Number two, air is pretty much anymore. We have our systems figured out, and air is uh, basically we don't compromise either. Mm -hmm. We write into our scope of work that we're going to be under one ACH 50 for every house. And we haven't had a house since... 2017 that was over one ach 50 like we have it figured out the design is figured out we've taken that and applied it to people that we weren't even working with steve other architects uh and so those are kind of a, a we don't compromise and you know everybody understands water kills houses but air leakage kills houses it kills durability it kills comfort it come kills energy efficiency so like and why does it affect
0: durability Explain that uh, for well, the you have air here.
2: leaking. It can bring other things with it, Including which is, it comes back Texas, to water, <laughs> pollen,
0: uh, and moisture. And in Texas, in particular, I always tell people: look, when air leaks into your wall cavity, what's the chances it's going to find a surface that's sixty-eight degrees because mm-hmm. your air conditioner's on? Yep. And if that moist, uh, hot air leaks in. That's where we find a ton of mold and remodel found around all the places where air leaked in on those houses.
2: Yeah, if you talk to the insurance agencies, uh, that industry will tell you that there are just as many uh, moisture and water claims in Houston as there are in Anchorage. Wow. And it's because all we're talking about is delta T between inside and outside and whether or not air is moving and carrying moisture with it. That's right. Makes sense. Uh, Steve and I always look at thermal, uh, or I'm speaking for Steve now, Uh it's he's it asking me moment. to do so uh, <laughs> thermal brother. is a uh conversation based on budget like we're gonna throw as much of it as at, at, at we're gonna throw as much insulation at it as we can afford as it makes sense uh, and the more we we add to it to a certain point the better the house will perform mm-hmm. uh, and then we kind of look at vapor as like if we do a good job on the other three and mechanicals then we're fine we it's don't have to take worry care of about yeah. And we're in climate zone four in both the markets that we compete in. So it's like, we're not incredibly challenged from that standpoint. Yeah. So we have to look at it from a physics standpoint, as well as a structural standpoint, as well as an aesthetic standpoint. And if you only look at it from like, we did everything that meets code and it's pretty well meets code doesn't necessarily mean durable and taking care of the control layers doesn't exactly meet code. And none of those have to do with aesthetics. Like, It is a total package, and we choose to look at things first from a durability standpoint. And so the control layers are where we start every conversation.
0: And so let me ask you another question that's kind of ancillary to that. If we're talking minimum standards then, tell me about windows. Like, Would you, in your climate zone, consider a double-glazed window package? Or is it like, no, we only do triple? So if we had our druthers, we would only do triple. We're
2: finishing a house right now that has... Uh, double-glazed package that's going to be just fine and appropriate for the build. Uh, But I think that triple-glazed is completely worth it from a budgetary standpoint if you're also calculating in the fact that it helps with air leakage and it helps with your mechanical system. Because now we have a window that's not going to have condensation issues, so we don't have to run ductwork all the way over to the window and then wash the window with our HVAC. We can just dump it into the room above the door... And now we've cut out all that labor for ductwork, all that sizing for mechanicals and making our systems larger so that they can deal with that. And like all those little things start to add up. And if we uh, I learned this from Steve, if you count the envelope windows and HVAC as one budget number and just look at it that way, you're never going to look at the windows and go, wow, those
0: are expensive. That's interesting. I don't think I've heard you say that before. Say that one more time. Envelope. Ran this down.
1: Well, we windows. used Dan Royce. We actually ran the numbers on Dan Royce's
0: house. Envelope windows, and what was the third thing? Mechanical. Mechanical. Mechanicals. Say that again. Okay, Dan. Yeah. Roy's so house. Dan Royce's
1: house. You're familiar with it. Passive house. Um, he uh, he had like a fifty thousand dollar window package, and if if we did say a double glazed um, typical window, it would have been about thirty five thousand dollars for this for the same house, but. His HVAC system with the double glazed windows would have been about thirty five k. Moving up to the better windows and slightly better envelope, we put one mini split in this house. Holy cow! So, so it went it's down, down to eight like grand, yeah. Or something. was like at the time, I think it was like six thousand five hundred, yeah, as sure. opposed to the thirty five. So he got a fifty thousand dollar furniture crafted triple glazed window mm-hmm. package. Mm-hmm. For basically the same price as you get a two, double glazed domestic product.
2: For. How about that? And and and
1: system. you live with yeah. the higher air quality. You live with higher energy efficiency, higher comfort, higher health.
0: All of those are intangibles that come along for the ride. That's a big deal. That's a really big deal. That's impressive. Um, okay, so I think it's interesting to hear you talk about double versus triple. Uh, let's talk for a second about R values and wall insulation because not all R values are the same, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, I think you have a story, Steve, uh, about a builder that has an enhanced. Oh, yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. But I was working when this is when I was in the Southwest doing production uh, homes for a builder there. And one of the competitors, I remember um, the owner showing me like their marketing package and they called it an enhanced insulation package cuz they moved from an R19 bat to an R21 high density <laughs> bat so they're marketing it as an enhanced insulation
2: package oh, man, which in so reality bad. is effectively the same
1: thing it's yeah. pretty much I don't think the radar screen like or the the it didn't there wasn't even a blip on it no so it didn't even show up it's but, the exact same thing but that's you know, insulation and R values are, those are probably some of the biggest lies we tell
2: ourselves. Mm-hmm. Well, you can building. do a R19 with a 2 by 6 wall, 16 on center, or you can do it with 24 inches on center. And you've increased the insulation by what, 7%? Uh, yeah, it's about a 7 or 8% shift in, in framing versus
0: uh, cavity area. And then you add that one inch of exterior insulation or zip R on there. It makes a world of difference. And now all of a sudden you've put, you've taken your studs that were R5 to R10, let's say, because they've got an R5 outboard of them. And now your overall wall insulation has gone up by what, 20% maybe? Yeah. Something like that. But the big deal for you guys in the North too, is that um, uh, warming of the studs, warming of the sheathing means that if there were a vapor issue and there was a high humidity that was migrating through your walls, that humidity in the wintertime wouldn't find a cold condensing surface. Yep. Right. So you're increasing your, um, uh, the healthy, uh, what am I trying to say? Let me back up a second. You are decreasing the risk of, let's say, mold growth or fungal growth in the walls. You're increasing your overall durability of the house. And you're leading that house to a longer-lasting, healthier build for your clients, uh, just by adding, you know, an inch or maybe more, depending on your climate zone, of insulation on the outside of the house. That makes a really big deal.
1: You know, it's interesting. It's. It, I always. I always try and back every conversation down to the absolute most fundamental, because then we really understand how retarded the conversation actually is, right? When you're talking about heating. You pretty much, or when you talk about energy efficiency, somehow it always migrates to northern climates. Like we associate energy efficiency with heating climates, mm-hmm. not cooling mm-hmm. climates, That's true. right? And so when I come and do a project in Texas, and I say, you know, uh, would you consider triple glazed windows? And we have the Well, why do we need that? Like we're not in a, we're not in Minneapolis, okay? <laughs> but let's back it down to the the, the, the common denominator here. You're buying energy. You're buying it in the form of cooling energy because heat is trying to get in. Up north, we're buying it both ways. In the summer, we buy cooling energy, and in the winter, we buy heating energy um, to battle it. But you're fighting the same battle in Austin that we fight in Boston. It's just a reverse direction. Right. And the window is nothing more than a barrier. So. Yes, a triple-glaze window, in my eyes, is just as important down here as it is in Boston or Minneapolis. Now, up there, Minneapolis or some International Falls, which has the highest heating degree days in um, continental US, um, you know, there, obviously, you're fighting condensation on the surface of the glass and glass surface temperature. It's a different building science game. But when you back it down to the basic fundamentals, you understand that, like, there's, there is a minimum here. And and I get people ask, why are you putting triple-glaze windows in Texas or Louisiana? That's stupid. No, you're buying energy. Mm-hmm. The whole idea is the conservation of energy equation that you're trying to fulfill and, and accommodate there. And so why wouldn't I put the best the best material to battle that battle for me?
0: And for me, Steve, the thing that took me over the line on thinking about triple-glaze, um, not just for my Texas heat, but also for your climate. I was with you on a job four or five years ago when you had a big triple glazed dining room window and you said, well, Matt, think about my clients sitting at this table here, triple glazed window behind them. In fact, you mentioned this on your, on our podcast day. you know, they're not going to feel that radiating cold off that window in the wintertime. So they're going to have a comfortable meal at their dining room table, uh, and have an hour long meal with their kids, let's say, and have a great conversation. So that bought them comfort not just lower energy bills and that's true in austin texas as it is in boston too right
1: yeah and and when i talk about backing it down to the most fundamental i can't help but talk about the the builders that want to like build the cheapest house and it's like when you step outside of the box and look at it and say well let me get this straight you want to use the worst materials. You want to do it super fast, not really make any profit, and put yourself at the highest risk possible. That's right. Yeah. What the hell kind of business model is that, that you're building there? Like the successful builders I know, they're going to suggest, hey, yeah, you should do triple glaze. Why? Because when you're sitting in front of that window in February you're not radiating energy to the window cuz the surface temperature of the glass is better and higher so you're going to feel more comfortable hell an intelligent consumer is going to look at you like hey this guy knows his crap like i should work with this guy that's he right. really knows what he's doing not the guy that's just trying to put up the cheapest vinyl window that i'm going to sit and i'm going to have to need three blankets totally in front of totally i don't i don't get that I don't get that from builders. If, well, you, if you're a young builder, wise enough.
2: We have this conversation about what's the minimum standard, and there'll be plenty of people that want the, the minimum. Well, our minimum standards below that. You can you can build a house for normal people or whatever they say. But when Steve gives the talk and he goes, raise your hand if you're a builder in the room, and half the room raises their hand, and he goes, raise your hand if you want to be the poorest quality builder. In the room and nobody raises their hand, but then they all leave, get in their truck and go right to the house and go, we can do it for less money than that guy and we can get it done quicker. Yeah, Mm -hmm. And we'll
1: just put up this perforated house wrap on this, you know, agricultural grade
2: OSB and hopefully, you know, you don't have a problem. That's for sure. And that's crazy. Nobody wants to answer the question. Yes. And there are so many people that compete in this industry that that's exactly what they do every day. They don't realize they're doing it. Yeah. Yeah, They're just trying to that. win projects on budget. Yeah.
1: I, I almost can't believe I'm going to say what I'm about to say, but I use Jake as an example.
2: You <laughs> know, in, in a
1: positive sense. For who to not be friends in with. In a positive <laughs> sense. But people, you know, when, when I talk to builders about that, I'd say, hey, so I have this friend, Jake, Columbia, Missouri. It's certainly not the thriving metropolis of, say, Newton, Massachusetts. Nope. Right? But- he doesn't need to have every project in Columbia. Mm-hmm. He needs two or three really good projects with really good clients that really understand value that are willing to pursue that approach with him. And so when we talk about this minimum standard, it's finding the, the right client. Like, so the, the, the clients are in search of a, a, a builder that can build the house, but the builder should, you know, if you're a young builder, you should really practice managing. What is your minimum standard of a client? Who do I really want to work with? Yep. Do I want to work with the person that just keeps? Oh my God, that's expensive. Is there a cheaper op- option? Like if you're having that conversation with everything you throw at them, get the hell out of the room. Yeah, hundred percent. That that's not a conversation you want to have. Totally. You want to have a conversation that goes more like. Yeah, I guess I consider that, but why? Why, Jake, would I do that? And then you explain it to them; they find the value in it. They up the price, and guess what? You just lowered your risk and made more money. Mm-hmm. You're working like you should be doing your business model.
0: Yeah, and ultimately, for me, over the years, I wasn't that much interested for many, many years in high performance as I was in lowered risk. Uh, you know, I I started learning about building science in 2001 during the mold crisis. You guys have probably heard me talk about this. Um, but in 2001 the builder I was working for it wasn't my company yet was being sued by a dozen or so people for mold issues and for EFIS claims and up until that point I thought we were building a pretty good house and it was kind of the way we always had built a house and then I realized gosh if we don't pay attention to this you know we can be left holding the bag big time Uh, and you know I honestly do think that a lot of the conditions around 2001, uh, we seem to be having again. Like in 2001, the nightly news was talking about the mold crisis and kids that were allergic to toxic mold. I feel like a lot of people these days are talking about kids' health, mold issues, new construction being too tight, uh, you know, no thought of fresh air. All these same issues I feel like are, are back again. But guess what we have now that we didn't have back then? cheap indoor air quality monitors that people <laughs> can put throughout their house, including the baby's room. And, you know, what if you get... And call the builder on a Sunday afternoon to go, hey, we're getting a spike in PM 2.5. Exactly. In the baby's room, of all things. Yeah. You know, what a horrible phone call that would be. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steve, you made a quote the, a couple years ago that I've said more than once that I love. Let me, let me uh, repeat that for the audience. It's not that high-performance houses cost too much, It's that our idea of a fairly priced new home is based on a history of building houses that meet embarrassingly low performance benchmarks. That's such a great quote, Steve.
1: I I have that battle to the day. I mean, we put up YouTube videos, Build Show Build Boston, and inevitably somebody comes and says, how much per square foot is that? Oh, my God, you guys are criminals ripping it off. (laughs) Ripping off the client. No. The, the builder that's building that house for $175 a square foot is the criminal. That's right. Because they're running away with money, and that client is left holding a time bomb.
0: And the client doesn't know any better, generally speaking, right? I mean, we were having this talk. I can't remember if this was on this podcast or our last one where you, you mentioned a uh, uh, a client that hired a less costly builder that ended up doing a not a very good job and having a strained relationship, maybe even getting fired. <coughs> well, I mean— That's our job as a builder to provide our clients with a well-built house. And that's ultimately what today's conversation is about, is what is our minimum standards for well-built? How do we get to that house that's resilient for our clients? How do we get to a house that's durable so it's going to be around for a couple decades, that's healthy for the people when they live in that house, that's comfortable when they're sitting at their dining room table? And oh, by the way, we'd also like it to be efficient so we don't just waste our money on utilities. And we also want that to be architecturally pleasing, like I heard you say the other day, Jake, so that that house is cared for and loved because it's not ugly.
1: Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, it's interesting working all over the country. Last week I was in South Dakota. Um, one project is modestly nowhere. One project is in the middle of nowhere.
2: <laughs> modestly nowhere. And uh, that so I think that's where we describe where I live. The, too. No,
1: this is this makes this does make Columbia look like a thriving. This makes you look like <laughs> New York City, like Fifth <laughs> Avenue. But but the idea is the the, the project. One of the first projects we're doing in, in uh, South Dakota. It's probably one of the best wall systems I've ever done. And will do hands down. And the people just want, he goes, Steve, I want a really good house that my kids can be handed and will still perform mm-hmm. in 100 years. Um, and the second guy is a retired military guy, which I don't understand that demographic. I get a lot of those. Um, and you don't, we, the, you don't think the buzz cut
2: attracts him at all, Steve? Well, maybe. But the, high and tight. The, the high and tight. He's in the Navy, though, so <laughs> oh, I just got to give him shit about eh. that. But So were you, though, right? And that Marine Corps, isn't that no, no, part no, of the no, 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 <laughs> no. don't even go there?
1: Don't even. I'll bring up how you hate the military. Um, oh, ouch, uh, Jake! Yeah. But uh, Are you anti-American, Jake. No, stop that,
0: <laughs> Dang, <Don't>,
1: no. no. <laughs> but the uh, but the second project, when I say it's in the middle of nowhere, it is literally like population, like 300 in the town. The town is scattered. Everybody has their 10 square miles Jeez. kind of thing, and. And I and I'm just thinking like when when builders say, well, you know, that's really not in our market. Uh uh. I'm in remote parts of the country and these people want to build really good houses Mm -hmm. and they're looking for builders. That's right. As a builder, you gotta get out and get after it, get educated Mm -hmm. and and it's the work is there. If you can
2: explain it so that they can understand it, they will buy in the same way you do. Yeah. I Uh, think. I I think- Educate the client and they'll agree.
1: If I gave the best piece of advice to a young builder, it is always be the smartest guy at the table. Mm -hmm. And if you're not right now, then work at getting there. And you need to be able to talk to your clients intelligently about, hey, we could do this, but this is the next step. So the minimum standards that you talk about here- I don't think I ever have a conversation without giving them what are the next, say, one or two steps above. Mm -hmm. Like, we could do this, right? We could do a double glazed window. They work. But we also have domestic manufacturers that we could move to triple-glazed. And we also have this option to go to a Euro-style window. And we would get this level of performance. And then we can talk about it. Now, I've had clients say, I don't want to use the Euro windows because I don't like the tilt-and-turn function. I want a casement window or Mm -hmm. a double hung window. So it gets ruled out for that reason and not the performance. But the client can't make that intelligent decision if we don't bring the options to the table.
0: That's right. I got a quote for you on that, actually, that, that I've been wanting to throw out there in this podcast. It's a John Rockefeller quote. Don't be afraid to give up the good to go for the great. I mean, that's that'd be a pretty that's actually a pretty good build show quote overall. That I think the three of us have done our whole careers is like, look, good enough is one thing, um, but let's let's build great houses. I mean, if we're going to build houses that Mm -hmm. our kids uh, are going to either, uh, you know, your kids are in your business now and are doing architecture with you. Our kids may or may not be builders, but wouldn't it be cool if my son or grandson or granddaughter remodels my house someday and goes, man, what a great house. I, I put a brand new kitchen in this 50-year-old house. I didn't find a single problem in there. It looked great. The envelope was still in great shape. And oh, by the way, the standards on that house, whether it was the uh, air tightness or whether it was the, uh, you know, insulation values, they're actually still pretty relevant today, 30, 40, 50 years later. We have that ability to do that. We can go for great. And it's not a 2X price point. It's really just a few percent more and it's being thoughtful and putting it together thoughtfully.
1: I remember going to this house in uh, New England. It was up in Topsfield, I believe. It was like a former banker's house or whatever, but it had Indian shutters, which were like it built into the wall. Mm-hmm. And and these happened to fold out. The tolerances and clearance like of shutter to the inset was still... The, the house was like 175 years old, damn near perfect. The operation absolutely perfect when you closed them hmm. they were absolutely perfect that's like awesome. i you want to go back in time and say hey buddy you well know done. jimmy the builder this was a hell of a job <laughs> man 150 <laughs> years and this stuff is still wow. perfect that's
0: awesome it's it's crazy and we i can mean do that's- that
1: and we can do it. We choose not to,
0: but and we honest, also
1: choose not to educate our clients.
0: And honestly, that's been fun to to travel with you guys. Some, and I've seen your travels. You know, we've gone over to places where it's not unusual to see a house that's five, six, seven hundred years old. I visited Japan twenty years ago and saw houses that were over a thousand years old. And and so our uh, kind of modern American expectations are so short term. Uh, that is very different than the rest of the world that has very long term thinking. So, yeah. yeah, guys, we should probably uh, uh, we should probably cut it off here. I think an interesting follow up on this at some point might be uh, getting into IAQ minimum standards. Like, if we want a house that's going to have once we've made this envelope, uh, which we talked a lot about today, really well, it's it's got great waterproofing, it's got great air tightness. We've got good insulation, and we thought about vapor control. Now, how do we make sure that now that we've got a good envelope that's not going to leak, that's going to be uh, airtight, and it's going to have good insulation, how do we make sure that our indoor air quality over time uh, is really good? Uh, and so what are the minimum stacks on an HVAC system? I think we should write that down for a future podcast. That'd be a good one. Yeah.
1: When you talk about minimum standards, I think back I, we, every summer, we'd go up to my aunt's house, my mom's sister's, And she had this cape in the Boston area. It's from Western Mass. And, like, I always had to sleep upstairs. It was probably, like... Ninety-five degrees and ninety percent RH up there, <laughs> right? No, no AC oh, or nothing. Terrible. Like it was literally, let's go sleep in the oven. Oh. And I'm like eight years old, complaining to my dad, and I'd get the smack up the backside of the head. Turn and be a like, fan on. Shut up! It's summertime. It's supposed to be hot up there, uh, right? Uh, like his yeah. expectation was, yeah, you're gonna suffer. It's the middle of July. What of you course, want? you're gonna yeah. sweat. Go to bed.
0: Turn a fan on. You'll be fine. Yeah. That's funny. The house right I grew I up in, that now. Pennsylvania, didn't have central AC until I got into high school. It was the same thing. We would just turn our fan on and blow it yeah, on. Yeah, we had a big box left fan the in the window. That it's all you could do. We have different things. expectations for modern houses, that's for mm-hmm. sure. Guys, thanks for taking the time to uh, spend a little time in the studio with me. If you're not following these guys. Uh, on Instagram, for instance, Stephen Basic Architects yep. on Instagram.
1: Snooty.com.
0: SnootyBuilder.com. <laughs> Jake.Bruton <laughs> on Instagram. Uh, Jake's building Columbia, Missouri, and Kansas City, Kansas. Yep. Uh, it's uh, Arrow Building. Yep. That's <laughs> it, right? it, right? You got it, right? Arrow right. Building. I love it. <laughs> Uh, it's A-A-R-O-W, two A's on I there. can't
1: tell you how many times I had to look it up on the, I'm guilty of to, on the, on the internet. Is it two A's or two R's? You know yeah, why I did remember. that? I
0: think it's kind of a fun story. His dad started the company yeah. back in the Yellow Pages days, yeah. right? 40 years ago, that's a phone book thing. Uh, and so 40 years ago, you wanted the two A's because you were tops in the phone book, right? So arrow, arrow building Probably had first-page top building listings, which today would be like getting on first-page Google search results yeah. every time you yep. searched builder in Austin, Texas. Well, that's the whole say. Acme
1: thing too, right? Acme plumbing, Acme. Acme.
0: I guess that's right, yeah, because it was to get It right, get you right at the front of the list. Yeah, pretty smart. Um, so go follow Jake on Instagram. You can check out his videos on BuildShowNetwork.com. Same with Steve. And, oh, by the way, if you're listening to this on iTunes yeah. or uh, any other podcasting platform. These guys also are podcasting with their buddy, Peter Yost, on the Unbuild It podcast. So the, drop that in your search engine. You can find the Unbuilded podcast and listen to more nerdy He's talk. a real
1: old guy, but he's kind of smart, so <laughs> we keep
0: him around. Peter's pretty smart, dude. Very he grew up guy. in uh, in the days of Building Science Corp with Steve uh, under the tutelage of uh, the master of building science, Joe Stebrick one of the smartest building science guys that you've probably never heard of or never met before. Uh, And so Steve and Peter worked for him for more than a decade uh, and, and of course are spouting their knowledge on their podcast and on buildshownetwork.com. So thank you gentlemen for sharing your wisdom with us today on this topic of minimum specs guys. That's uh, that's all we got for you today. Follow us on TikTok or Instagram. Otherwise we'll see you next time on the build show podcast.